Welcome back to Dadlit. I am your host, Chris Ludwig, and I am joined by my co-host, Connor Boyle. This is part two of part one of our review and inspection of Hunt for Red October. Uh, If you haven't listened to part one, we recommend you do that, but let's jump into the episode. Last time on the waves of our lives. Dreamy CIA analyst Jack Ryan has uncovered a harrowing plot in which Russian submarine captain Marco Ramius plans to defect along with his entire senior crew and lead a experimental sub into the hands of the Americans. But waiting for him is the entire Russian fleet. Jack Ryan has rushed to warn him with the aid of the American submarine Dallas. Now, the officers aboard the Dallas and Jack Ryan travel over to the Russian sub via a DSRV submarine to meet them and hopefully aid them in their plan to defect. Now, we return to the drama. Let's get to know these people. Let's have some levity. Let's watch a movie. Let's make some big old American breakfasts. Let's talk about 80s computers. Right, yes. At this point, you kind of get... This is this is where a lot of the propaganda from Meek came in, the ideological propaganda of, like, American Dream, Land of Opportunity, versus the very kind of narrow mode of thinking that the Soviet people have. You know, the Soviets are like wide-eyed at everything they see in the United States and they're they're fed well and they're like, you know, treated kindly by the sailors. Yeah, so they like the first thing that they do when they're on board is they have the DSRV bring them over uh, supplies and a cook to make which is funny because there's already a cook on board. Uh, right, um, uh, they have cook. them bring a cook though and they he, he makes some uh, American breakfast for them and they're like this is do you, you eat this much for breakfast and they're like yeah all the time and then one of them's like yeah I like pancakes or like waffles or something I can't remember what they say but they like bring up like another thing there's all sorts of like fun little exchanges with po- like little bits of like information like when they bring Jonesy on board and Jonesy's doing stuff the Russians are like wow he's that talented and he's not an officer and they're like, yeah, no, he's just he's just a talented crewman. And so there's like those little bit of like misunderstandings between the differences of their command structures and stuff. And yeah. Jones is like, ah, I brought movies on board because we're going to have a long time to, before we get back to port. And I figure they might want to like kind of get an idea of what America feels like. They watch E.T. Like, oh, what? Yeah, what'd you bring? He's like, yeah, so they watch E.T. and like they watch it like three times or something. I can't yeah, remember what they say. It's yeah. like they're and, just, and yeah. they're like but on the third time the Russians are still tearing up at the ending. Yeah, yeah. So so um And they're like, Are all are all American children like this? Are they all this precocious? Are they all this and they're like, No, 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 no. Yeah, it was like, well, it's, some of them. It was kind of cute, you know. These, but so it's it's absolutely adorable. It's probably my favorite part of the book is all of this like slice of life stuff. So, but at this point, the Russians, the Soviets, are convinced that the Red October is gone. It's destroyed. They're going to leave the area, but they tell a few of their subs to stick around the Atlantic. They want to keep some people behind while the rest of their fleet leaves 
so they can observe the American ships and the and the British ships. They want to collect some and intelligence. How they yeah, operate. Yeah, yeah, they they in particular they want to know learn more about Ohio class submarines. They don't have that much information about it, and they're like, hey, listen, there's already a lot of naval ships here. Stick around, stay quiet. You know, this is a good opportunity to collect some intelligence. So I like some of the I like some of the the we'll we'll get back to what you're talking about in a minute. I, yeah. I still want to finish up with the levity talk. And then we'll get to the conclusion. But when we do get to the conclusion, I like a lot of the espionage and uh, surveillance elements that they discuss. Well, what Um, what happens is that the Soviet sailors get taken off the ship after they get kind of, you know, they get wined and dined. But they end up going back to Russia. They're put on a plane and they're interrogated on the plane. But they yeah, yeah, but I like I like the stuff that leads up to that. So the, the Soviets that get taken off the sub get brought to a ship and then get brought to america and they get driven around between the places that they are so they get to see a little bit of america and get to see it through the windows and they're surprised about like does everybody own a car there's a black man driving a car look at all these buildings everything's so clean or whatever you know like and the the, like i think jonesy's like yeah you can go to college here too if you want i'll help you get into college if you want and they're like really that's that's still back on the sub but yeah but like in in the states when they're they're piloting out all the crew the low crew not the high crew the low crew they're like driving them around and like every step of the way it's like hinted like it's basically all of the americans are trying to like bait them into staying it's it's all this like you could stay isn't this pretty wonderful look at this wonderful road look at this wonderful building look at this wonderful aquarium that we're going past don't you want to go into the aquarium and like all of this kind of like first hand propaganda if you want to like call it that it's not really propaganda it's just showing them around but like it's it's very much a show they want to show the russians how america is so that they might want to stay and might want to give them secrets might want to inform them but they do follow their due diligence and take them to like uh another base and get them on a plane and there's like a moment where there's like uh they get them all sitting sitting down to eat and all of the like remaining like russian officers like whatever officers weren't a part of the defection are all like standing and hovering around making sure that they're like their soldier the the russians aren't talking to anybody they're super paranoid that any of the men are gonna leave and then yeah they put them all on a plane and fly them back to russia yeah, kind of sad. I mean, I feel so bad for those those characters, too, because in another thing, you know, we kind of talked about this a bit is like they don't even leave the submarine service with like skills like they get they get nope. they learn how to like turn that knob and pull that lever. And if it goes yep. above the red, you know, part of the gauge, let someone know. It's really like yep. it's it's really wasted potential. Yeah. And that's like offset with what's going on on Red October while they're being treated that way, which is one of the characters is like, yeah, I think I'd like to go to school. And Jonesy's like, yeah, I could get you into college. He's like, what did you want to go to school for? He's like, well, I've always wanted to work on a computer. And yeah. Jones is like. Oh yeah, well you know I, I I wanted to get a computer, but they won't fit on the sub. But uh, a lot of people own their own computers. And yeah. I was like, what? What? Are you kidding? You me? can own you can own a computer. He's like, oh yeah, you know Apple uh, produces computers that you can purchase for at home. Uh, they it only costs you two thousand to three thousand dollars. And he's like, what? What is what? I, I've never heard of Apple. And he's like, oh yeah, they've sold a million computers. 
and he's like, we have one on the sub. We'll let you, we'll let you try it out. We, we don't use it for any of the like technical stuff. We mostly just play games on it. Like choplifter. Yeah. And did you look up choplifter? No. Did you? Yes, I absolutely did. did. Of course you did. It's, it's, it's a side scrolling helicopter arcade game that looks pretty cool. Actually, where you fly around and you shoot at targets. And then when you get to an enemy base, after you've killed all the targets, you kind of like hover over it and you land and like prisoners come out and get on, on your helicopter and you can like get them back to your, your base. But you have to like avoid tanks and jets and stuff. Kind of, uh, and kind of, uh, ironic, a, a little, there's a connection between yes, that. Yeah, <laughs> it is absolutely. But like he talks about that, they have a, a copy of choplifter, which I looked up and it is, it was made for the Apple two computer as well as arcade. And yeah, so he talks about that. They'll let him play that later. Um, also, I just wanted to say, he says that at that point in time, Apple sold a million computers. In uh, 2021 alone, Apple sold 341 million units. Wow. Yeah. Well, different times. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and you know, it, now you have computers that will fit in a sub because I thought that was so funny. He said that, a com- that like a personal computer won't fit in a sub, but now we have like laptops and tablets and things that you can absolutely just tuck in a pocket well whatever Uh, whatever simulation that uh tyler did on with the engine at the pent with the pentagon supercomputer i could probably do it on my laptop and like and be recording this podcast at the same time you know like that's the oh yeah i'm running like multiple functions right now it's it's crazy but like yeah that's just the it's so funny the way that they talk about the computer in that scene to that russian guy and blow his mind so um um so okay do you are you ready to get do you want to get back to the conclusion here yeah, so after they have all this fun yeah. watching E.T. and crying and all of that, and they have a shootout with the cook and they right. jettison a ballistic missile, one of the subs that have stuck around to keep an eye on things is kind of following some breadcrumbs. But at the yeah. same time, there's some interesting stuff going on up in the air that I want to talk about. Being that they have like a satellite that picks up like heat signatures and they're like, that's a pretty big heat signature. And then you have um, some other people watching the water and there's like a, a guy that's like, yeah, I bet that's like two or three submarines. And you as the reader are like, what, what, like, there should only be like two, right? And I guess they do have that other following sub, don't they? There's the, the Pogi. There's the USS Pogi, which is kind of the new Pogi. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Sub, and uh, and then there's the USS Dallas as well. And, yeah. Um, and so and so, the Red October. So you you know you know that there's three subs there, but the Russians should only think that there's the two American subs. Mm-hmm. So they know that there's like something going on, maybe. And the the at the same time, there's that heat signature that they're like, that's a pretty big heat signature. Uh, which I think that's cool that the, the satellite can pick up like the heat signature of stuff passing underwater. It kind of makes sense, in a way. so it, especially when you have like you have radi- you have uh, you know um, you you use the water around you to cool the uh, radiation off of the like um, reactor plants on the subs and stuff. So it would give off some heat. So the. The Dallas and the Pogi are escorting the Red October, which I believe it's like I kind of imagine it is going through like a a river or like it's 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 entering into this sort of confined environment. I mean like a jet stream. Yeah, the the Pogi and the Dallas are escorting the Red October. The Pogi 
um, which is like a few miles ahead. It's sort of like scouting out. It picks up on the Soviet ship, which is the Konovalov. That is the ship, the Soviet ship that's kind of like, what's going on here? And we learn that the captain of the Konovalov, which I believe his name is um, Captain Tupolev, was a student of uh, Marco Ramius. And yeah. the, the, the Pogi is sending out pings to, uh, to message the Dallas and the Red October to let them know it's okay. That's kind of how they're communicating. One, you know, one ping is yes, two pings is so that sort of thing. But what, when they're pinging yeah. with the sonar, they pick up on this, the other Soviet ship. And then the Pogi warns the Dallas and the Red October, hey, there's another Soviet boat in the area. So, like, we have to be really careful. So everyone starts running silent. They're either just floating or moving at a slow speed. And eventually, the Konovalov... I'm definitely pronouncing that wrong, but whatever. Um, oh, get ready, because when I start talking about the history of stuff, I'm going to mispronounce everything. But eventually, the Konovalov identifies the Red October's Caterpillar Drive. They're like, we know that sound. Um and their captain, he's very—he's too eager to, to sink the ship. He, the, the one, so one of his crew members is like, "We should tell Moscow." The, 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 and he's like, "Are you kidding me? We'd have to surface for that, yeah, and then we'd have to wait for a reply. That's that's them getting an hour ahead of us." Yeah, he's like, "We need to go after it and sink it." And this is just like, "Nope, no, you made a big, big mistake there, dude." Um, so they end up firing torpedoes at the Red October. On the Red October, it's Marco Ramius. Jack Ryan, Jonesy, and Captain Mancuso. They're all on the Red October. Um, and Jonesy's tracking the torpedoes. They dive the boat to mess with the torpedo tracking system. One torpedo misses. Another one detonates very close to them. It damages the ship, but basically they're okay. Um, the Dallas launches a decoy. I thought this was kind of cool. Basically, they like l- launch this torpedo-shaped object that emits a recording of like submarine engine sounds and that kind of throws off these the other soviet ship for for a little while but eventually the konovalov locates the red october and fires a torpedo at it um however marco ramius is you know he's commanding his basically kind of kind of he makes like mancuso and ryan jonesy like his crew he's telling them what to do another funny thing that happens at this point speaking about excessive smoking later is like so jack ryan becomes the helmsman he ends up steering the boat and like marco ramius tells him how to do something that. he's never done by the way yeah, yeah and he just automatically starts smoking cigarettes like he, he <laughs> well he he when he comes on board he accepts one as kind of like a bonding maneuver like hey i want to i want everyone to feel like we're one big happy family so let me smoke one of their cigarettes and he talks about how like harsh it is and stuff but then he keeps smoking them while he's on board there's like several other scenes where it talks about him smoking another one also like during the like like after the shootout they treat him to vodka and like there's just like a good old time happening and then there's this whole crisis situation and he just doesn't stop smoking through it i kind of like it because it it, it makes me think he's kind of getting into character in the sense of like well i mean yeah when you're on a soviet submarine if you smoke cigarettes like that's what you do like and maybe it kind of does speak yeah i didn't really thought of it this way speak to his sort of um instincts as when it comes to espionage because he can like fitting yeah he culturally knows how to fit in with different people so Ramius instructs his ersatz crew. He's like, we're, he, they head directly at the uh, Konovalov and the and at the torpedo coming at them. And by closing the distance between the torpedo, the torpedo and his ship, 
that prevents the torpedo from arming because another little kind yeah, of technical there's, description. There's safety functions that uh, to prevent a torpedo from, let's say, exploding in a tube or to prevent it from acquiring a false lock and hitting something you didn't intend on it to hit. There is a timing function that, um, that it arms a certain amount of time after it leaves, after it launches, after it leaves the tube. Yeah. So, it, so. They, they close the distance. They end up... They ram the Kunavalov. They hit it amidships, and it basically just destroys the Kunavalov. The Red October is pretty seriously damaged, but still intact, and it can run mostly. Yeah, they say it like crumples the nose, but yeah, like a like a can. Yeah, I imagine that like Captain Tupolev, you you know you mentioned earlier that he knows Ramius and. I imagine you could have made him like a, a lot more of a character and put him like throughout a little bit more. And uh, like, if this was a movie, you could cast someone pretty cool in that role and have him smoking like the whole time. And that would set like a real, like you said, it would set a mood for like a Soviet submarine. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie Das Boot? I have not actually. I've heard a lot about it. Uh, it's an excellent movie. But one thing that sticks with me is how filthy, filthy the sailors are on that submarine. Like, now is that a is that a World War Two sub or a World War One sub? It's a World War Two sub. It's a German submarine. Okay, because because the description you get in Dead Wake of the life on a World War One sub is grody and gross and grimy and disgusting and like you don't have air circulation and you have to surface to get new air like they don't have they have only, like very rudimentary like scrubbing devices so like while you're underwater it's just you're stuck in a, like a dank, stinky, stale air and people are smoking and there's just like stink everywhere. And like, you're not showering. So everyone yeah. is stinky, but um, I just imagine that sweaty because it's hot. Smell. There's no, a, there's no AC. Like it's just, oh man. It seems off. And like, just like in, in, in dust boot, like they're all super greasy and they've got stubble and their teeth just look like yellow and like, but they're still like drinking coffee and smoking, you know, like it's, that's why their teeth are yellow. So, so anyway, so when, so this is really the end, the red October's damage still intact. The, the Americans end up getting it. Ryan gets flown uh, off the ship to Langley, Virginia, headquarters of the CIA. He talks to Greer for a bit, but then he's put on a plane to London, and we see the Red October in the Norfolk uh, shipyard. Ramius and his men are in a safe house somewhere in Virginia. So the, the final image we get of them, some of them are asleep, some of them are watching TV, and this is the quote the, for the ones watching TV, quote, amazed at what they saw of life in the United States. And that is the end of the hunt for Red October. Is a pre pre okay, pre okay book. You know, uh, we went over our criticisms. Uh, overall, I liked the story. I thought it was a great story, just kind of told in a frustrating manner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think it would be much better as a movie. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about some of the themes and ideas of this book. Some of which we've already talked about before. Um, Big, big theme. There's a pretty straightforward delineation between Soviet values and U.S. values and the superiority of U.S. values, at least in uh, politics and the military. I, one thing I noticed, there's, there's a similarity between the Soviet government and the U.S. government in, in that the various government agencies at times kind of work and compete against each other. They're kind of at mm -hmm. odds with each other. 
However, the Soviet way of doing this is much more destructive and the results are much more dysfunctional. We, we didn't talk about it much, but part of the story is the tension between the GRU and the KGB. So the, you know, the KGB, the two, Soviet intelligence. Two different intelligence agencies. Yeah, who are kind of vying for power. And part of the sort of debrief of the Red October, you know, op is how the KGB will use this to seize power since they view this as a failure of the GRU. Um, with the Americans, there's competition and, you know, kind of infighting between the various government agencies. We, we do see military commanders who are pissed off at being siloed and d- denied information. But ultimately, mm-hmm. there's, there's this sense of an overarching mission or a goal that's higher than themselves. And there's trust that that's based on. And that's ultimately what they defer to. Um, Which is funny because the Americans have that, like the mission, keep your eye on the ball, which is a a baseball term and very much an American ideal. And then you have the Russians, which have a similar idea, but it isn't the mission. It's like the party and like the, the politics and like the ideals, like you must stand up for the ideals. But even are you are are you being a good Russian? The state, the party. Yeah. But but we also see how that's sort of like slippery, too, because in the beginning, uh, in when we learn about Marco Ramius's childhood, his father is considered like a good a good uh, communist. And there's a little story. the, the, The state, the state changes quite a bit and also not quite a bit over time. And. Russia has a lot of what you're talking about, that like infighting of um, which leaders people cater to or which leaders people found moving or uh, like you say, treat like religion. And if it's the leader that's not currently in power, it can be viewed as not aligning with party ideals. There's an example where Marco Ramius is a, is a kid um I think it's like the, it's I don't remember the exact details, but like a neighbor is like complaining about the party and is kind of speaking out of line. And Ramius rats on him thinking he's being a good communist and he ends up getting in trouble for ratting on his neighbor. And he's like, wait a minute, isn't this what I'm supposed to do? Like he he, he sees that that there are stated goals and objectives and practices but basically, it's different for everyone. You know, this idea of labor and the party and communism is supposed to basically have the same rules for everyone and the same standards, at least in the way that it's presented in this book. But Ramius learns that it's all BS and it's really just a way for, for people to assert authority and to promote their own self-interest, that, it, that the stated values are not there. In the, in the Americans in this, the values are there. You know, you see at the end, like, yeah. American dream. I think there's actually one part here where like Ryan or Jonesy's like, yeah, I mean, you know, you could just get a, you could make $20,000 a year and have two kids. Sure. That's easy. And an Apple computer. And it's just like the Americans deliver on the promise of the American dream. The Soviets don't deliver. Well, that's the thing that's like continuous throughout uh, Russian history is what the Russians are working for and what the Russians are promised isn't always obtained more often than not it's not obtained I, I could see why one would consider defecting if you are seeing the like like raw deal that a lot of people are getting or that like your loved ones are getting or that you're getting and uh you you see all of these previous leaders or previous big minds speaking 
of these ideals that are not being practiced or and all these things that you know it's supposed to be a place for workers but everyone's struggling uh, or it's you know it's supposed to be a place where it's it's not about the politicians but all the politicians are getting fat and happy yeah you know and and so like when you see their them interacting with the americans and the americans are like hey let's get them a big breakfast and then they do it and say oh, hey, we're going to show you what America looks like. And then they do it. And it's like, oh, yeah, you can get all these things. And they're telling the truth. Like, they do – it does talk in the book how it's like, yeah, for a little while they'll have to be, like, kept in a secure location and they'll be questioned and they'll be watched and stuff. But, like, after a while, they're, like, certain places would want to work with them to learn what they know and that they'd, you know, they'd fit in eventually. So – Another idea that I thought was explored in this book is the idea of good leadership and what constitutes good leadership. Because we have a lot of characters that are submarine commanders or they are, you know, at the top of certain hierarchies. And a few kind of things I picked out that I observed in the book uh, regarding good leaders and the qualities of, of good leadership is that good leaders recognize and reward excellence in their team or their crew. Um, we see that with Jonesy, who gets you know promoted and kind of gets empowered because of his knowledge. Good leaders understand the importance of a well-trained and well-rounded crew. This is a big difference between the Dallas and the Red October and why the Americans are successful and why the Soviets are not successful in submarine warfare in this case. Um, good leaders know when to enforce hierarchy and they know when to allow their subordinates to act freely despite perhaps their lower rank. Again, Jonesy. And this is to, to kind of go into that more. Something I observed in this book too was this kind of tension between hierarchies of authority and hierarchies of competence. There's a tension between those two systems. Hierarchies of authority referring to formal hierarchies, command structures. You know, in the military, that's pretty straightforward. You know, you have rank um, versus hierarchies of competence where perhaps someone formally outranks or, or is below you in rank, but knows more than you in practice. And we see on the Soviet side, we, we see this in the use of political officers on ships who are, in the case of the Red October, the political officer is not very competent, but he's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And he's high up in the subcommand. We also see this kind of, uh, in, in the way it works well, on... Uh, the U.S. sub, like I said, with the Captain Mancuso and Jonesy. And what I kind of took away in, in terms of like leadership lessons and teamwork lessons is that in command situations or in any teamwork scenario, you have to know how to vacillate between hierarchies of authority and hierarchies of competence. With the Americans, we see how the formal mil military hierarchy is uh, simultaneously reinforced and deconstructed at the same time. It's an ongoing but functional uh, and healthy tug of war where captains at times can hand over authority to lower ranking people, given that mm -hmm. the situation warrants it. And we, we learn that this, this system that, that works for the Americans is based on training and discipline. Well, I, I'm kind of going off here. This is kind of an idea I was like working on. The, in the military, you have training and you have strict disciplinary systems you have the rigorous and it's rigorous and it's difficulty and there's a hierarchy well what it what it comes down to what it comes what the idea that you're working on 
is trust. That's what I mean. Is that is that in, in America we train someone and trust that because of the the proper training that we've given them that we trust them in situations to handle the situations. And in what we see from this book in the Russians, they don't trust anyone. They don't trust their gov they don't trust their government, they don't trust their captains, they don't trust their commanders, they don't trust their crewmen. They only give like the really good technical information to their officers. They only, uh, they, they, you know, everyone's second guessing everyone. And even seeing in how the Russians are reacting to the Americans, they don't trust the Americans right away. There's and same the other way, other way around, but the Americans are more willing to give trust and see what happens. Yes, that's a big part of um, what I was trying to get at here. I, another piece of it um, kind of just fell into place for me is you need those formal systems of hierarchy in, a, in order to allow people to excel and to build re- relationships. Mm-hmm. To, to put it in another way, I used to teach, um, I was a librarian at a school, and I you know did taught K through five library classes and what I learned about kids, this is really no secret, is that, you know, you want to, you don't want to be too, you don't want to be like the mean teacher, you know, but little kids, you need to give them systems. You need to give them rules and boundaries because that gives them scaffolding and it gives them an opportunity to do things right and feel good about it. Little kids they they need validation obviously but if you were to just let them be on their own they wouldn't know basically like how to feel successful or happy or like they did something good but when you make rules and you make objectives and you're like okay today i want you to do x y and z you know if you do it right you you know we're gonna have you know uh we're going to have some candy or whatever. It's like you need to yeah, give them you're, systems you're, you're, to succeed a, within. Yeah, you, you teach them not just rules but the payoff when you follow the rules. And it kind of it builds in an, a system of what's important. Yeah, it's structure. They what's, need what's expected. They need structure. They need structure to yeah. succeed within. You need those boundaries so you have an idea of like so you can succeed, you know. And on the Navy ship, it's like that. You need those boundaries However, you you also need to know when to kind of like throttle off of that, you know, like you need people to follow orders that requires, you know, uh, discipline, but you also need and and following orders, you know, like means this system is functioning correctly. However, you need people to think critically to summon their own individual strengths and contribute. And that is something that kind of exists a little bit outside that like i said the hierarchy of authority so a good commander can can use both of those systems to to succeed in their mission i think is what i'm getting and you look at well and you look at mancuso who uh when it comes down to the crisis situation ramius starts just taking command and at first mancuso kind of like butts at that and bucks at it and they they kind of both like have a little bit of a power play, but Mancuso ultimately defers to Ramius and lets Ramius kind of take command. Yes, it, it is his sub, and he knows it. Like he know, I don't want to say like he knows that it's his sub. He knows the sub. Like he knows how it functions. He knows what needs to be done, and he can issue the commands that need to be given. And Mancuso gives him that trust. It could have been very easily for another commander to not allow that and go. No, this is our operation, and these are my men, and I'm going to command them. 
and it may have played out a completely different way. Also, has to or do they with, may have just yeah. argued and then got shot by a torpedo. I think that also has to do with like <laughs> ego. You know, like you just because you're the captain, you can't be so like attached to your position that you're not willing to give up some of your authority or defer right. to someone else. Well, I mean, Kusa does that several times because yeah. he has to trust in his orders. He has to trust in uh, Ryan. He has to trust in uh, Ramius. Like he he is squashing his ego to allow those situations to play out the way that they do. And the Soviets don't have the only trust they have is that, you know, Igor, you know, Petrovsky is going to pull the lever when you tell him to do it. And like, that's, you know, that's the only thing they can rely on each other to do is very kind of simple rote tasks. But they are good at that. A good example the, is the, the navigating that, that pass. Correct. That's what I was going to say is they, they are good at operating like a machine, but a machine is cold. Like it, they don't have as much heart as the American Navy. They don't have as much trust as the American Navy. It's it's just pure cold efficiency in a way. Yeah. But like that breaks down very quickly. So another thing, I just wanted to read this little piece. I thought the uh, listeners might find it interesting. It's about defectors. It's about Soviet defectors. And the the setup for this quote that I'm about to read is kind of funny. Like, you know, Ryan is running around from aircraft carrier to air, aircraft carrier, you know, flying in helicopters and Harrier jets. But he brings he brings some reading material just in case he has a few extra minutes here or there. You know, he just kind of like he just, you know, just like you bring like a paperback book. Um, but in, in this one, he's kind of got a few minutes to read to himself. Uh, I'll read this quote. Uh, it's a little, it's a little long. I'll try and get, you know, try and get through it quick. At the moment, he was reading alone in White's sea cabin, which had b- become his permanent home aboard. Ritter had thoughtfully tucked a CIA staff study into his duffel bag, entitled "Lost Children: A Psychological Profile of East Bloc Defectors." The 300-page document had been drafted by a committee of psychologists and psychiatrists who worked with the CIA and other intelligence agencies helping defectors settle into American life, and, he was sure, helping spot security risks in the CIA. CIA. Not that there were many of those, but there were two sides to everything the company did. Ryan admitted to himself that this was pretty interesting stuff. He had never really thought about what makes a defector figuring that there were enough things happening on the other side of the Iron Curtain to make any rational person want to, t- want to take whatever chance he got to run west. But it was not that simple, he read. Not that simple at all. Everyone who came over was a fairly unique individual. While one might recognize the inequities of life under communism and yearn for justice, religious freedom, a chance to develop as an individual, another might simply want to get rich having read about how greedy capitalists exploit the masses and decided that being an exploiter has its good points. Ryan found this interesting, if cynical. Another defector type was the fake, the imposter, someone planted on the CIA as a living piece of disinformation. But this kind of character could cut both ways. He might ultimately turn out to be a genuine defector. America, Ryan smiled, could be pretty seductive to someone used to the gray life in the Soviet Union. Most of the plants, however, were dangerous enemies. For this reason, a defector was never trusted. Never. A man who had changed countries once could do it again. 
Even the idealists had doubts, great pangs of conscience at having deserted their motherland. In a footnote, a doctor commented that the most wounding punishment for Alexander Solzhenitsyn was exile. As a patriot, being alive far from his home was more of a torment than living in a gulag. Ryan found that curious, but enough so to be true. The rest of the document addressed the problem of getting them settled. Not a few Soviet defectors had committed suicide after a few years. Some had simply been unable to cope with freedom, the way that long-term prison inmates often fail to function without highly structured control over their lives and commit new crimes hoping to return to their safe environment. Over the years, the CIA had developed a protocol for dealing with this problem, and a, gra and a graph in an appendix showed that the severe maladjustment cases were trending dramatically down. I thought that was kind of an interesting... Yeah. I, I'm sure there's like tons of research about this, and it's something I'd like to learn more about, this sort of psychology of defectors and spies. Well, and they, they touch on that again later on when they're discussing on the sub what's going to be offered to them. And they say like, oh, yeah, uh, I know there'd be people that would love to work with you and you'll be brought into like you'll be put on ships and things. And then it mentions that like that was kind of a fib. And it's like they wouldn't trust them on their own ships because of the exact reason you just said is that they could just defect again. If if you let them on your ships to like work and they learn the secrets of your ships, they can very easily just go back to Russia and give all that information. If they got, you know, homesick or lonely or still have a, a wife back there, they, they could want to go back. Yeah, there's um, it's interesting to hear about defectors and double agents. And I, I think I've mentioned this before, but in uh, John Le Carre's Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, there's a character who is a mole. He's a double agent, really, uh, for um, the Soviets, and he's high ranking in uh, the circus in London. And when he gets confronted about, he's like, you know, the his peers are like hurt. They're like, well, how could you do this to us? Like, we loved you, you know, like we, we, mm -hmm. we've been through hell together. And he's like, you know, it was an aesthetic decision as much of as much as anything else. And I, I think that kind of speaks to the different kind of motivations people have. And, uh, you know, some people really hate this, you know, hate uh, Western imperialist uh, capitalism. Other people kind of just want to play both sides of the field and are kind of drawn into the drama and romance of it. You know, I think you could probably mm -hmm. find an infinite number of reasons why people do stuff. It really just depends on their background and what motivates them personally. Yeah. All right. So did you have anything else you wanted to talk about in terms of theme? Uh, no, just go over the checklist with you. Dadlet will be right back after a word from our sponsor. The most brilliant commander in the Soviet Navy. Remy has trained most of their officer corps. He's nearly a legend in the submarine community. The most deadly submarine ever built. This thing could park a couple of hundred warheads off Washington. Nobody'd know a thing about it until it was all over. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Without all the versatility, the American Navy. His plan is a mystery. A man with the order 
responsibilities reading about the end of the world. Apparently he has suffered a kind of nervous breakdown in which he announced his intention to fly his missiles on the United States. He wants to help you hunt him down, kill him. Open the outer doors, firing point procedures. We sail into history. Blowing right to Mars. Radius might be trying to defect. You're just an analyst. What can you possibly know what goes on in this mine? Like we we predicted that this was going to be uh, pretty heavy on checklist items, and I just want to compare notes on this. Uh, going down the checklist in order from what we posted on the Instagram, if if I miss anything, you can definitely uh, speak up. So, hyper competent male protagonist. I don't think we have it. Um, Ryan is competent, but I wouldn't put him under the terms of hyper competent. Yeah, there's a little. He could arguably be hyper competent, but he kind of earns earns it. You know what I mean? Like, right. uh, but he's got he's got some good flaws. He definitely specializes in certain things, and there's other things that he doesn't know. He is good with a gun, which surprised me. But like, he goes through training, so like, Let, yeah. I understand that. Yeah, the, let's let's. So leave I it. wouldn't I wouldn't give it I wouldn't give it for this situation. Not compared to the other hyper competent male protagonists Dirk we've P- seen. In he's Dad, no but... Dirk Pitt. No. Yeah. Uh, character with signature item wouldn't give it to anybody. I can't think of a sing- a single item in this that was like connected to a specific character you... or that would appear again. Um, a prosthetic leg. He, um, they don't really talk about it much. They... they just talk about that he could get a nicer one. Well, they do talk about that his. The, the the manner in which he walks i i i'm kind i was kind of half joking there but it, it could be but not not yeah. in the way that we intended um, that that checklist item to exist no right uh signature weapon and vehicle i would say no but you could technically argue that the red october is a signature vehicle assigned to marco ramius i would say yes on the that I, and also there's yeah yeah i would say yes sure um henchman i don't think so not not in the term not the not in the terms of like a, a true henchman uh like i wouldn't i wouldn't want to insult Boradine by calling him a henchman um and i don't think any of the characters really fall into that like specifically serving of a specific character in the way that a henchman Th- this does. book is a little too realistic to have some of these things yeah like a saturday morning cartoon henchman yeah, yeah. um elite fighting force no not a specific one you could say the GRU. You could say the 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 Russian Navy. Like it, there's not like a specific. Elite yeah, if force. the Navy SEALs were referenced or anything, that that. Yeah, but they weren't really. No, they they don't appear. So, they're not even mentioned. So. so yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. Well, um, okay. I mean, they talk about the Marines, but it's not like he's part of like. But they're not really featured the recon that much. platoon. Yeah, that no. Yeah. So, uh, technician class characters oh. out the ass. Yeah, tons. Tons. So many. Jonesy is an excellent example. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, pencil neck bureaucrats. Yes. yes. On both sides. Um, president as character. Yes. Absolutely. Bonus points uh, for him knowing a character, knowing the main character. Yep. 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 We, when we get, we get um, full on look at him. He is there. He's yep. in my head. Yeah, I imagine so we don't get, him, so we yeah. don't get the, uh, we don't get the other optional bonus point of only seeing him in a reflection, no, but he's a character. We do get full yeah. on look at him, but he knows Jack Ryan and talks to Jack Ryan. So yeah. Um, cameos of famous historical figures. Not really. Wait, let's hold uh, on a second there. Um, what? Okay. No, because they do mention actual like Soviet uh wait, do they Yeah, they mention they mention people from history, but they don't appear in the book in person. The president of the the Soviet Union isn't in it? I thought there may have been a scene where he... No, okay, let's just leave it off because it's not no. it's not. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Texans. Yes. I would say yes. Yeah. We didn't talk about this much. Not... What's which Texan are you thinking of? Isn't Mancuso a Texan? I don't think so, but I'm thinking of uh, Judge. Okay, sure. So the, uh, I was also gonna, I was also gonna, I was also gonna bend the definition a little bit and say the Dallas. Uh, that's a good one too. There you go. So just, <laughs> we didn't talk about this, but the CIA director who uh, is from Texas is uh, refer. He was a uh, Supreme Court judge in Texas, and uh, he is uh, referred to be- uh, because he is. Um, a former judge. Well, tech, I guess he's still a judge. They they don't call him like director. I forget his last name, but they call him yeah. judge. So, but he's and he yeah. kind of has a bit of that Texas so that shit kicker quality. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a competency shift. There isn't. There isn't really any misogyny, mostly because there aren't really any female characters. Um, no, there's. I wouldn't say there's any overt racism. There is references to that, like the Russians aren't used to seeing black people. But, like, I wouldn't say that was framed in any sort of, like, disrespectful way. Outdated modes of thinking, there's a little bit, but I wouldn't say it's in any sort of, like, offensive way. I would say, uh, gosh, you know, that's kind of relative, isn't it? Because... It is, but nothing really stood out to me. Like, I mean, I, I don't think that people look generously, you know, at the Soviet Union nowadays. But I think because of you know, recent political history and economic history, they are not as like revolted by communism, at least in, in popular discussion as they would. Sure. Be. But I also don't think this book represented Russians in any sort of uh, like bigoted way or in any sort of outdated way. Like it's pretty respectful to all of the characters. Yeah, I would, I would, my only thing is that, is that it, depending on the, the political persuasion of of the reader, they might I don't know, they might uh, yeah. Let's just leave that unchecked. Nothing stood out. Yeah. Nothing stood out. Yeah. All right. So um, narrative plot elements: excessive smoking. Yes. Yes. Excessive drinking. Yeah. Well, there's, barely. No, there barely. There, but it makes the mark. I think um, there's there's yeah. quite a bit of drinking that occurs in in different uh scenarios different scenes and there is the like scene where they have a bunch of vodka yeah all right um cold war context whoo boy you better believe it gratuitous sex scenes nope no there's Uh, i think there's only one woman mentioned and it's jack ryan's wife and like that she she does actually doesn't even appear like as a character so 
which is not to say uh, that the salvage yeah, anyway, operation. Just to clarify, sorry, operation. just to clarify, it's like not to say. I mean, that gratuitous sex scenes could be sex between men, but that I'm it's true. But that doesn't happen. No sex in this. Um, okay, salvage operation. Uh, salvage operation. You better believe yeah, it because does. they take the DSRV down to that messed up sub and then later on they take a sub down to look at the supposed wreck of the red october yeah absolutely fails the bechdel test yes. yeah you just said there's only like one female in the well two if you count the little girl villain monologue i it's tricky um i would say no but there are some pretty fun monologues from like ramius and i think even tupolev gets one like when he's telling them that they're not gonna make the call back to Russia to ask for permission, and they're gonna blow it up. I feel like that counts as a villain. I also blow. would argue that the letter that Ramius sent to yeah. Padorn and the High Command is functions as a villain monologue, a villain in monologue. the sense that, like, yeah, if he could have presented that in person and still got away with what he would have done, he would have done it. So yeah, we'll say yes for villain monologue. Uh, villain anti monologue. Not really. No. Uh, Breezy scientific technical exposition, yes, but also non-breezy technical exposition. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> I think that should be added. Almost, we should have a separate item. It, it, we'll have. To, I think we should just moving forward. There will be breezy scientific exposition. Then there will be Clancy esque scientific exposition. Yep. yep. All right. Um, non-fictional framing device. Not really. No. No. Uh, nuclear warheads. Several. Yeah. 26 on board the Red uh, October. Yep, yep. Uh, multiple moles? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Um, experimental technology? Yes. Big, Caterpillar drive. Yes. Gun porn? No. There's a couple of guns uh, Yeah, but... Okay. I, but they're not really... I wouldn't check that out. They're off. not really, like, explored. He it, it, he doesn't give it the, the, the clancy try like he does on everything else, so... I would say no on gun porn. Vehicle porn, though. Oh yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, definitely on those submarines. Oh, there's the there's the uh, the A ten Warthog description. There's the the fighter jets. Yep. There's all sorts of stuff. Yep. Uh, helicopters. Yep. Yes. Uh, submarines. Yes. Yes. Both. Both. Yes. yes. Uh, we also need to add on ships and planes. Okay. Because those are things that are common in Dad Lit and are represented in this book. Um, structural elements. Uh, I didn't read the physical copy. Are there maps, illustrations, or diagrams in your copy? Um, no. And I don't believe the first okay. edition had that either. Okay. Um, chapters include location and or time date stamps. Yes. Mm. Day yeah. one. I think – no, day one. And then there are like um, section breaks that – will tell you, you know, USS Dallas, Red October. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to say that's a yes. Yeah, we'll say yes. Um, author photo includes one or more of the following. Hawaiian shirt, aviator sunglasses, Navy ball cap, antique car, dog. So my copy actually does not have the aviators and the Navy ball cap, but I have seen an addition with that, so I'm going to say yes. It does have a Navy ship in the background and a raincoat. Yeah, so let's just say yes. So, I mean, this is this yeah. is what we're talking about here. Um, is there a large print version available? I didn't. I no, didn't check. no, not at mine. Um, is it part of a series? Yes. yes. Um, does the text include a teaser? 
Connor, take it off the list. Um, well, this one, Connor, this one doesn't. <laughs> Connor, take it off the list. It, it shall remain. It shall remain. Uh, so yeah, that's our that's the checklist, and we're adding a checklist item in. Uh, what did we say? We're gonna add. We're the, gonna uh, add non breezy scientific exposition. Um, we're. I also wrote it down on the other uh, document. Uh, recap presented within plot. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Is being added. So yeah, this has been the most checks marked on a checklist for one of our books. And the things that it checks off, some of them it checks off very, very strongly. And again, we cannot emphasize enough how much of this book is technical descriptions of things and how Clancy sometimes uses that in a clever way. Other times it's just like, wow, uh, you you know, I, reading this, I was I had this image in my head of like Tom Clancy trying to wedge these things into conversations when he's like trying to sell insurance to people or when he's at like a cocktail party, and then he's just yeah. like, "I'm just going to write a book." You know, <laughs> how much so, how much research went into this? It's insane. Uh, I can we'll discuss that in part two because I have some information about. Part of that. me thinks this is this book um, itself is an op. Like a CIA op? No. So, well, once again, we'll talk about it in part two. But for the people that are listening for part one, Clancy kind of got in trouble and got investigated yeah. because when it came out, a bunch of the people in the Navy and intelligence circles were like, how the fuck do you know this much? Who told you this? How did you get your information? And they went and checked all of his sources and interrogated them and like – it was like almost like a security breach. Well, he has diversity of information, not just technical information about like the engineering of ships, but like strategies on like fleet formation and how, you know. Um, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it was it was an issue. Like he didn't I guess he didn't get all of that information approved or I mean, it's his first book. He probably didn't know to ask like whatever. But like I have some more information about how he got the information and like what went into it. But we'll talk about that. A little bit yeah later. so we're gonna do part um, part two is gonna deal with a little bit more of the non-fiction uh kind of supporting this book and surrounding this book but we'll have some fun too we'll have some oh, fun I not just non-fiction i think let's let's end with one with one of those do you want to chris do you want to play a game or do you want to do cast off let's end let's end part one with something kind of fun let's do cast off because right. i'm interested to find out uh who you would cast if this was ever made into a that's movie, a great idea which it has never been made into considering a movie. we just talked about the plot the characters are fresh in our mind it has been made into a movie sean connery played marco ramius no. and alec no. baldwin played... again why would you cast sean connery that's just an awful casting okay. he's like uh, i mean i'll i'll give you that one but right. let's um, start with the russian well actually not russian the so the the Red October crew. I say that because Marco Ramius okay. is Lithuanian, actually. Let's start with Marco Ramius. Would you like to go first? Yeah. Um, I I didn't know how to cast him, so we'll go with yours. Sean Connery. No, that you can't. You have to pick someone. <laughs> yeah, Sean Connery. Okay. I think, it's a, I think it's a terrible choice, but I'll give you that one. Okay, I didn't. So here's what I thought. All right. So Liam Neeson. Who, I mean, might as well be Sean Connery. You're going to get the kind of the same vibe a little bit. Or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. Ethan Hawke. 
I don't like the Ethan Hawke one, uh, but I like I like uh, Liam Neeson because he gives off the same like dad vibes. Ethan Hawke's see the thing is is that like when I say even when I say Ethan Hawke, I think of a young like Gattaca Ethan Hawke. But he no, I'm thinking of modern. He's day getting Ethan older. Hawk, he's been he's he's literally been a dad in movies, but like I don't know. Give him like a, a white beard and white hair. I think he could do it. All right, how about Captain Borodine? So I said this guy Ewan Bremner. And you you probably know him from the movie Train Spotting. Um, he played the character Spud. He's okay. older now. Um, yeah, he's yeah, kind of yeah. you know narrow face, but I thought he'd be good. You know, um, who do you have for that? Uh, Sam Neill. <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, I don't I don't know what. You, what? That's okay, don't worry, don't worry. I I've got some tricks up my sleeve too. Um, uh, Ivan Putin, the Russian, the political officer who gets killed at the beginning. Yeah, I have Peter Firth. Oh, really? P- okay. Hey, what what has Peter Firth been in? Let me pull up his IMDb here and see what he, okay. he played. I bet I, that sounds so familiar. I feel like I can just imagine him. Uh, yeah. Look at this. Um, okay, so he was in the he was in the movie Life Force. I like that. Oh, uh, the Hunt for Red October. Look at that, Chris. No, no, it's never been a movie. What, what is your What is your obsession with? Why deny the existence of this? Have you seen the movie? No, no. So, uh, okay, so this was the thing I talked about at the beginning that I, I that I was gonna have a little bit of a gaff. Um, I just think the cast is perfect. It's pretty good. And so, so I'm just going to go with the assumption that it was never made and I'm just going to pick that cast. And actually, no, I'm not. I did pick an alternate cast. So, okay. um, to, to go to, I, I considered not casting it and just picking the, the movie cast because I didn't have a lot of time, but as I did more research and things, I started getting an image in my mind of who I wanted in certain roles. So I couldn't bring myself to just stick to the, to the joke. Um, for my Marco Ramius, I would put Mads Mikkelsen. Oh, it's very good, excellent. Yeah, um, and then his 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 second in command, his his partner in crime. Uh, I was gonna cast uh, Nikolai Coster Waldo. Okay, he's the guy that played the Kingslayer in Game of Thrones, and I think he is the right balance of old and young at the same time that would fit in being a secondary to an older person, but also still feel. Like they have a little bit of like a th- authority of age, um, and he would look good with a big old beard. Uh, and then for the political officer, it, not Peter Firth. No, um, I was gonna cast. Uh, you might need to look this one up. Folks at home might need to as well, because I'm gonna cast some actual Russian actors. Um, Pasha D. Lynchnikov. He was in Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, he was also in Air Force One, and he was also a cab driver in A Good Day to Die Hard. Okay. And he's got a very distinctive face. Very Russian-looking gentleman. Very Russian. And that's, there's a reason why he's been Russians in pretty much all of those movies. Um, so moving on now that we've gotten past my gaffe, um, who did you have as the political um, officer? Political so officer. I had yeah. Richard Brake. Uh, you may know him from Mandy he was also in the yeah. movie three from hell. Um, he's yep. just, he, do you know who he is? Uh, mm-hmm. He's very skinny. Coyote, he kind of just has this very like menacing presence. So 
Um, I thought he would be good in it. Okay, next we have Igor Loganov, who is the Russian cook that is actually the GRU Slash agent. Yeah, GRU agent. And he's yeah. described as being 24 years old, so he's kind of young in it. Um, I'll go first this time. I picked this guy, Daniel Portman, who was also in Game of Thrones. Um, he's just kind of, I mean, I don't have much to say about him other than he's just sort of a young, <clears throat> you know, he's just got dark hair. I just thought he'd be okay. And uh, he could carry, he seems to have some good act, acting chops and he could convincingly be like a young Soviet sailor. I feel like if we ever do a actual like dadlet bingo card, I feel like one of us casting someone from Game of Thrones is definitely on the bingo card. Yeah. Because I definitely have, we are, I already cast a Game of Thrones actor and you now have. All right. Um, For the cook, I put Igor Yejinkin, another Russian actor. And he's also in Indiana Jones 4. He's the heavy that fist fights Indy in that swarm of ants. Also has a very like scrunched up Russian face. Okay. I can't even find him online, but I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, I think he would look good peeking in on things throughout the movie. Okay, the last one I have for the Soviets is Captain Tupolev, who is the captain of yeah. the Konovalov. He's going to have to be younger than Ramius because he was a student of Ramius's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his, I have a real fun – I have a fun one I for this. I do too, but the character is like kind of uh, selfish and – uh, impulsive and not a great captain. Uh, who did you have? So in the original movie that I am going to address exists, uh, and it's fantastic, definitely better than the book. Um, he's played by Stellan Skarsgård, fantastically. He smokes, he's gruff, sweaty, he's grizzled. He's, what? Yeah, I remember him being kind of sweaty in it too. He's also young in that movie. Yeah. It's it's cool to see him as a popular actor now in like Marvel movies and things, and then seeing him in that movie when he's young. So, I'm gonna cast his son Alexander Skarsgård. Okay, that's good. Who's about the same age now as he was then, and would kind of fit into the same role just naturally. The, on a side note, I was reading about the average age of sub commanders, and like they're like our age. Like we would be like yeah. it's it's just it's incredible the mili- like you think about these like military people and Ramius is older. Well, that's the thing. So like, so the the historical figure that this story is based on is our age, and he did pull a mutiny at our age. I feel like such a which is just wild. Such to a me. failure. <laughs> I'm just some shithead. Yeah, right. I haven't done anything I, in my I, life. Yeah. I haven't taken over a vessel and ran it across the ocean against the will of my country. There's some shithead kid who complains about everything. You know, it's like I've... You could be out starting revolutions. Exactly. Okay, so for this, I had Will Wheaton. Whoa. What? It could be because I've been watching a lot of Star Trek recently. That's a wild casting. It would be fun to see him in like a menacing role rather than all the things we've seen him in and by all the things i mean just literally next generation yeah well i think he could do it you know uh he's i don't i don't know because i haven't seen him in anything else so yeah give him a shot okay let's maybe he'll knock it out of the park let's switch over to the american characters starting off with jack ryan who did you have all right so 
I'm not going to say Alec Baldwin because we're beyond that joke. I think but, he's great as that, uh, by the way. Like, he's probably the best. I love him in that movie. I love young Alec Baldwin. I love The Shadow. I love Hunt for the Red October. Anyways, um, I'm going to stick with the Amazon series cast for much of the American characters because I want to see this in that show. And I took that into account with my Russian cast, too, and tried not to cast anyone too big that wouldn't be on a TV show. So you picked because uh, I had some other ideas for some castings. So I'm gonna stick with John Krasinski as Jack Ryan, which I don't really necessarily like him as Jack Ryan, but for the bit we're gonna stick with it. I hate how like likable John Krasinski is supposed to be. Like, I, I, he seems like a likable guy. I think he seems like an interesting guy because he wrote A Quiet Place. He he John Krasinski's Jack Ryan is absolutely a hyper uh, competent male protagonist. Yeah, I just I don't know. There's something about that casting that I don't like, but maybe it's cuz it works so well. I, agree. I don't know. But I don't know. It, it works well enough that I'll keep it. Okay, so I picked this I I, I looked around a lot and ended up picking this guy Jack O'Connell. Because the character needs to have, like, a sort of intellectual quality, but they also need to be tough and be able to kind of, like, you know, uh, uh, throw around their, their own weight. They have to, you know, they, they have to have a toughness to them. They're, Jack Ryan's a former Marine. Jack O'Connell uh, was in the movie Unbroken. Um, he he's, uh, he's been in a few different things. He was in the Netflix series Godless. If you look him up... I don't know if I've ever seen a movie he's in or anything. He doesn't sound familiar to me. I'm looking at him. He looks like he'd be okay for the role. Yeah. He's just kind of... He yeah. has a... he When when you see him with a beard and he's kind of well... Like, he's, you know... He can be well put together, but he also kind of has a... Yeah. A, well, he also fits the, like, military yeah. vibe. Okay. So, yeah. how about Admiral Greer, Deputy Director of, of Intelligence for the CIA and sort of mentor to Jack Ryan? So once again, I'm sticking with the Amazon series. I went with Wendell Pierce. So for although it's going to be hot, you can't you can't top James Earl Jones so much so that he's he is Admiral Greer in all of the movies pretty much, even though they switch up some of the other castings in the movies. Now, so James Earl Jones plays him in the movie, most of the movies. Yeah, yeah. Is so, he is he explicitly so like just... the the role of the the role of Jack Ryan switches out. But yeah, James Earl Jones stays. That's kind of he does a good job, and he just look yeah he yeah. he wears that admiral uniform well. Now, in the in the book, the Hunt for Red October, does it ever explicitly state that he is African American? Not that I can remember. Okay, me neither. Um, not that it matters, but it's also, interesting that they. Well, and also, Greer is kind of more of like a Scottish name, so I, I yeah, imagine he's probably not, but he could be. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I'm, the reason I'm asking is because of Wendell Pierce and only, James Earl Jones. The only person that they in the book that I can remember them referencing as being African American is it's it's not Bart Mancuso. It's his like secondary. Uh huh. I can't remember his name right now for some reason. Okay, well, let me. I'll tell you who I did for Greer. The 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 easy the, for me the low hanging fruit one would have been Will Patton, because I feel like this is kind of a Will Patton type character. You know, it's like, oh Jack, good to see you. Like you know, kind of like old military. Uh, you know, I used to be a tough guy type vibe, but you know now I'm kind of like slowed down. But I didn't want to do Will Patton. I thought of some other people. I thought about Keith Keith okay. Carradine for once for for one. Um, I, okay, I'm not familiar with he's, him. He's in, 
a lot of people might know him from Deadwood. He played Wild Bill in Deadwood, but he was was in a lot of movies in the seventies. Um, I also thought about Ed O'Neill from Married with Children. Um, oh, interesting. But I ended up uh, settling on Richard Thomas, who is you probably know him as John Boy from The Waltons. Okay. I feel like he has a, like a very a, a sensitivity to him, but he's much older now. He would. It would be. I think he would do good in this role because he can be very like firm, you know. Like he's, he can be serious, but he has like a a, a kind of welcoming and warm quality to him that I think Admiral Greer has. Okay. Okay. Um, so you had uh, on the on this list. You mentioned a Captain Davenport. I know there was a Captain Davenport. Yeah, he's the British. He's the British captain. Um. That talks to um is he on is he on the jack Ryan. is he on the uh, aircraft carrier yeah okay because honestly so many of those characters like i i tried to remember a davenport and i'm like well is he i just wanted i wanted to name a british yeah. character because there are quite a few in hunter the book. hunter is the um, only one i remembers their name but so we're talking just about a british a british uh yeah, High just command. a British officer, some somebody to talk with uh, Ryan and the Americans and be kind of like the British main. Who do you have for this? I want to cast Matt Barry. What is... He's generally always in comedic roles, and I absolutely love him, and I'd love to see him attempt a serious role and not completely ham it up. He can, he can uh, rub a little bit of ham yeah. in there, but... I know him, yeah, uh, yeah. From uh, what we yeah. do in the shadows, what we do in the shadows, uh, Garth Marenghi's dark place. I love Garth Marenghi. Uh, the IT, the IT crowd. He's great in the IT crowd. Father. Um, but yeah, uh, I'd like to see him play just like a, a just a puffy, like br- British military man that is, you know, chest puffed out, proud, but not completely over the top okay i didn't really have anyone picked out for this uh so i'm i'm just gonna say daniel craig you know and and that's all that's all i'll say about that i almost i almost cast daniel craig as um uh Borodine. that could work he he daniel craig has this like steely eye it's like his blue eyes i think they can look kind of steely i also i also almost cast him as tupolev because i was like he could play a pretty menacing yeah. character Okay, next up we have Captain Bart Mancuso, captain of the USS Dallas. You can't beat it. You cannot beat Scott Glenn. This is the problem, and I did find an alternate casting for him, and I like my casting, but goddamn, I love Scott Glenn, and Scott Glenn is not in enough movies. Um, He's just so wonderful in Hunt for Red October. He is good. Um, I like that. I like him. I cast Jonathan Banks. Uh, and you're gonna have to tell me what he's been in. Jonathan Banks plays uh, Mike Ehrmantraut in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Oh, okay. Um, he's he's been in a bunch of other things too. Um, but uh, he's I think he would play like the stoic, kind of authoritative, but down to earth character that Mancuso is very. I well. think that's actually really good. That's a really good casting. I could totally see that. Yeah. So I picked uh, Aiden Gillen, who plays Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. 
I can also see that. Yeah. Uh, he's been in a couple other things that I've seen him in that leads me to believe he could do that role. Yeah. Um, okay. It's interesting now. I'm curious about this next one because I'm really – I really don't know. Uh, Jonesy. All right. Again, hard to beat Courtney B. Vance. He's so charming in the movie. This is the, my biggest takeaway, and I wasn't going to talk about it because I kept on with the bit that there wasn't a movie. But now that we're addressing the movie, so many of the characters in the movie have a charm and charisma about them that make them fun, and they have really fun lines and rep- like really fun like uh, relationships with each other. And that just doesn't reflect in the book. Like a lot of the characters are just a lot f- flatter and don't say as many fun things to each other and just don't have a certain charisma about yeah. them. However, Jonesy does. Yeah. Jonesy manages to still be charming in both the book and the movie. He got kicked out of so it's hard. It's hard to, California Polytech. It's, it's hard to f- like that's part of his story. Yeah. It's and I love Courtney B. Vance and I love the weird grainy glasses that he has on in the movie that like dr- that just hang on the tip of his nose and have the little like cords that hold them on around his neck. Um, so trying to find somebody to top that, I went with either. I have two because I couldn't pick one. Either John Boyega. That's good. I think he has the charisma for it and would still feel like he knows what he's talking about and could pr- and could. Uh, deliver some of those lines of like ex like the uh, technical exposition and he's young too he's um, like younger though at least and that's that's another thing i took into account i actually looked up how old uh courtney b vance was during hunt for red october and he was like uh 30 so i was trying to find someone that was around that same age i failed on my first attempt because my first casting was donald glover okay well yeah. and i think donald glover could do a wonderful job as well but he would be a little bit older yeah, I, I, I like that. I really like John Boyega. I I was honestly like, this is another one where I'm like, I don't know. Like, the, the idea of giving it to a comedic actor, I think, is good. Um, I think that... I honestly had the hardest time casting Borodin. Uh, I, he, to me, Borodin, Sam Neill, I guess he, he's, he's, he's very good in it. Uh, one thing I, I noticed that was different... In the movie, Sam Neil Sam Neil is the heart of the Russian crew. Like when he's in scenes, he's what's you're seeing react to the captain in a supportive way, and he's got so much heart, and he manages to just his little smirks, his little expressions that you see in like Jurassic Park and things. Like he manages those in this in this setting so well, while he still is a you know tall standing authoritative figure on the deck of the submarine and. I just think he he adds the heart needed for that side of it's the story. It's so sad. Remember in the movie where he's like I want to get a big truck. It would have been I want I want to get a big truck and live in Montana and have kids. Yeah. Uh, maybe a recreation vehicle. Maybe even a and then recreational vehicle. <laughs> yeah, he gets shot and then he his line which always is one of the things that sticks with me is it would have been nice to have seen Montana. It's so sad, man. Even now, like a tear is coming to my eye. But he, he one thing I I'll, I'll note is the difference in in the. I I don't remember if the movie it definitely doesn't emphasize as much as the book that um, Ramius's sort of motivation regarding his wife and it, the movie deals a lot more with them them just want you know wanting to go to America for opportunity. 
um, and the freedom yeah. there. And that's that that is conveyed a lot more heavily in the movie than in the book, I think, at least through Sam Neill's character, because there's so much like pathos to that, to these sort of like, like I'm saying, he's the heart of that. Crew. Yeah. Yeah. And he it, it, it he does a lot of legwork in you, you liking their situation like but the book uh, does not really do that especially with that character Borodine. i don't i didn't i didn't find myself as no, attached he doesn't stand out as, as as likable and when he gets injured or whatever like it's it doesn't have as much of an impact yeah okay but we were talking about jonesy and i'll just i'm gonna say dave franco yeah. because he's a comedic actor and he's kind of young and i could kind of see him you know playing a sailor I don't feel right. too great about that, but I like yours a lot better. I like John Boyega the best. Um, yeah, I think Boyega would do a phenomenal. Here's job. one I don't I don't know um, if we put this on the lit on if I put you know if you chose this one, but how about the president? I did put it on the list, and uh, this is a boring one because I'm just going with the Amazon casting for the president, which is Michael Gaston. Um, I tried to think of an alternate to maybe be like maybe they elected a new president and was gonna. I was trying to think who could play a fun president. I couldn't come up with one. Okay, I can So I, I came up with I think is a good one. Uh, Mark Hamill. Ooh, I'd like to see that. Yeah, I'd love to see Mark Hamill as the president, just in real life, maybe. No, <laughs> no for sure. Yeah, I think it, I think he'd do good in that role. Okay, next one. Uh, we you put this one on the list. Yeah, I listed Caroline. I listed Caroline Ryan or Kathy Ryan, um, mostly because of her inclusion in the movie. Because uh, for someone who's been watching a lot of Star Trek lately, uh, she's played by Gates McFadden, uh, Beverly Crusher in Star Trek The Next Generation. And she's gorgeous. I love Crusher. Especially in Hunt for Red October. Um, and uh, this movie, the movie actually has quite a few little like nods to Star Trek, which I thought was interesting. Uh, the aircraft carrier in the movie is the Enterprise. The... Um, on Tupolev's ship, there's a Russian guy that delivers dialogue just like Chekhov would, and it's literally uh, the engineer doesn't know if he could push it that hard, and he's like, "Well, make him, make him push it anyway," and like it just feels like discount Chekhov. And then you have Gates McFadden in the movie. It just feels like someone on that crew enjoyed Star Trek. So I did, I did want to do this casting, and unfortunately for my casting. She has been cast in the Amazon series, so it's Abby Cornish. She looks yeah, all right. Fine. For She's, She's definitely fine. no Gates McFadden. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. See, I said Florence Pugh, but you know. Oh okay, yeah. She's 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 popular yeah. lately. She's really good. In terms of the book, it's the only thing you learn is that she's a medical doctor and she plays violin, and she's a very talented violin player. I don't even remember them saying that she was a medical doctor. That makes it so much funnier that it's Gates McFadden. Yeah, that is pretty funny. He plays too, a medical actually. doctor in yeah. both. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So that's all I had for cast um, off. I I did for fun for fun have some a, two bonus castings. I did decide to cast the American politician and the Russian politician. I know the American's named Pelt. I don't remember what the Russian. Well, okay. Just to clarify, who Pelt is the Secretary of State, I believe, or the Chief of Staff, as yes. the Secretary of State. Okay. Well, it's funny because I have two names. And I, yeah. He does. He does most of the talking between Russia and America. Yeah. Okay. Though. So you wanted to do. So it's the Secretary of State and it's the Ambassador, the the Soviet Ambassador. Yeah. Those are the two people. Correct. Okay. So for the uh, for the Secretary of State, I got Bob Balaban. <laughs> okay. 
do you know who that is? Look him up. He's in like all of the uh, Wes Anderson movies, and I think he would play a great like just uh, lying through his teeth, but professional. Yeah, I know who he is. Okay, good. He's good. Um, and for the Russian ambassador, I had to cast him. You can't cast Russian stuff without him. Peter Stormare. Oh, okay. Okay. He could. Yeah, he's good. He plays the Russian in Armageddon. He plays the Russian in all of John Wick shit. He plays the Russian demon Chernobog in American Gods. Like, he is like the Russian guy that you think of when you think of Russians cast in movies, even though he's not actually Russian. Um, but I, I considered him for like three different roles. And so, like, because I didn't end up using him, I had to cast him as something. So I wanted to throw him on there as the... And I think he'd do fun as an ambassador. Which, once again, like, hamming it up and lying and, like, being like, no, I think everything is being done. It's funny. I have two names written at the bottom of my list. I guess they were actors I was considering. So I will just put those for those two roles. Brent Spiner and Johnny Depp. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god which is which which one are you putting in which okay role? you would think you would think that i would be doing brent spiner as the soviet role right but no i want okay. him to be yeah because clearly he's an ice man i want johnny depp that's a data joke for everybody that's a good that makes sense johnny i want yeah. johnny depp as so, the what now soviet you want johnny ambassador. depp as the russian yeah, and i want brent spiner as the chief of staff or the so, secretary of state all okay. right I kind of like that because I feel like the Secretary of State gets to have a little bit more fun and Brent Spiner loves to have fun. Apparently he – I was I, – I, I don't know where I heard this. Maybe you were telling me actually or that he, he wrote a novel. Or maybe my friend Bob was telling no, me. No, I didn't So apparently this. he wrote a novel about – because we were talking about – my friend and Bob and I – Bob is, is a huge Star Trek fan. He's a huge Trekkie. And he was telling me – he's like – I was talking about like actors – and making money and i'm like you know people kind of assume that a lot of actors are super wealthy but you know some some of them coming up in their career even though they're very famous probably don't make that you know they don't have that much money to hold on to they have to move around they have to do all this stuff and he was telling me he's like oh god brent spiner wrote this novel where the character is basically him and it's a young guy who gets cast basically like on star trek and he's like in 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 it like he talks about living like living like having to drive like three hours to set every day and because part of what i was talking about with my friend bob was i was like you know if you want to like work in hollywood like you have to live there like that's insane like that's just like who who wants to do that but anyways uh, i i digress um so what were we talking about hunt for red october or something well yeah i don't know star trek um yeah uh that pretty much rounds up the discussion on the book and the movie i mean i could go on and on about the movie which is another reason why i wanted to keep it as a that the movie didn't exist because if i started talking about the movie you weren't gonna stop no they did such a good job casting it and honestly uh, and editing it so i once again i didn't get to talk about it because i was doing a stupid bit that the movie didn't exist but the conclusion of the book is so long and the movie was really wise in having all of the like conclusion happen all at once so like the plan to get the russians off of the sub is going on at the same time as tupolev showing up to encounter them and it plays out perfectly because that means when they blow up the i can't remember the name of the russian sub but when they blow up tupolev's sub 
the Russians that were taken off of the Red October see an explosion and just think that it's the Red October, which helps their story when they get taken back to Russia to be like, oh, yeah, we saw it blown up. Yeah. And I think that's such a smarter decision than how it plays out in the book. And and having seen the movie first, as I was listening to the book, I was like, when is this going to happen? Yeah. When is two, when is Tupolev going to show up? It's a little too, the pacing is a little, is a little too much. It's too drawn out. It is much more dramatic when all those things happen because there's a tension. There's like much more tension about like, all right, get them off. We got to do that. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's much more ratcheted up. Well, and, and, and the same thing I could say with all the things that were cut. So like uh, the way that they cut down on things and um, the way the movie doesn't let you completely know what Ramius is up to until later, which is what I said the book should have done. And it lets you kind of like go along with Ryan on wondering what he's thinking and what's happening. Uh, that's all really smartly done. I, th- I think they keep just enough of the procedural involved to make it interesting without too much of the politics stuff. Um, I mean, it's, it's directed by John McTiernan, the guy that did Die Hard. It's he, just a wonderful action movie director, and he handles it so well. I think that if you haven't seen the movie, people listening, I, I can't imagine that you haven't, but I'm sure there's people out there. Go see it. Yeah. Find it on Amazon, rent it, whatever. It's... A, a wonderful movie to watch. Uh, I absolutely. Adore. All right, so let, let's. It's one. Of, it's 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 one of the few films that if I'm flipping through channels and it's on, I'll stop and just watch. It is. It is. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, but I'll have to give it a rewatch. Let's rate this. Uh, let's rate it first as dadlit, and then let's kind of talk about it as like you know, would you recommend this book to your friend as a piece of dadlit? How many? cruise missiles do you give this cruise missiles yes all right hold on let's think about that um how many are on the red 26 let's rate it on a scale of one to 26 cruise missiles yeah as as dadlet i would give it 25 i'd give it 25 25 i'd give it 25 as well didn't check off everything but that doesn't that you know the checklist is not it's meant to aid in the evaluation. Yeah, and I'm not even grading that on how many checklist items right. it was. I'm just grading it on how interesting this would be to a dad. I think this is one of the top. Oh, yeah. Like, as things that we've read, this is a very dad-lit, dad-lit. And it, we knew that going in, and it, conf- it just confirms our confirmation bias. Like, I, Yeah, um, yeah. It, it, for, absolutely. I would also, I would all, on our old scale, I would give it... Uh, out of a hundred sneakers, I would give it, let's say, ninety red Adidas. Red Adidas. What kind of red Adidas? I'm like, it's hard. I don't know. Just uh, Soviet red. Okay. All right. Now, I I would I would rate it at twenty five cruise missiles, and I would rate it at ninety five white A six. Uh, yeah. Right. Now let's talk about it as just a piece of literature, a book. Like, would literature you recommend this to your friend? Um, not necessarily no. giving it like a score, but no, you wouldn't. No. I tend to think that modern audiences, uh, even if you were interested in thrillers, I think it's a little, it's a little too. Uh, I'll guess I'll just say dense, but the 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 emphasis on the technical stuff is just is if he hadn't. If he hadn't already read it, 
my friend who is into physics and loves realism, I would recommend it to him. But he's already read it. Yeah. Uh, and he liked it. But, like, it would be one of those situational things that I would have to, like, there would be certain people that I'd go, you would like this. But to, like, general audiences or just, like, someone I met at a bar or to, like, most of my friend groups, I don't think they'd enjoy it. Then why was it so popular in the mid to late 80s? Like, what what was it that audi- – I, I, my theory on that is that the Cold War context made it seem much more relevant and interesting. The Cold War context definitely makes it relevant. And also I just think that I don't – I don't know if this level of dadlet existed. I also think that – audiences had different attention spans back then and oh yeah for sure just look at westerns like just look at uh old just any old movie pacing is completely different compared to modern movies Mm -hmm. modern movies feel like they have to keep you entertained every second like if you can't be sad any second there has to be a joke to bring your your mood back up or they're afraid you're gonna walk out for some reason i don't know i would yeah i just trust the audience if Tell your story. Well, so I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't recommend against reading this. If someone told me they're interested in reading the book, I'd be like, yeah, go for it. You know, I, I, if the movie didn't exist, I would recommend the book. But the fact that the movie exists, I will just tell people to watch the movie. And because it's a good movie. It's not even that it's just that it is made into a movie. It's made into one of the better movies that I could talk about. I, I This just reinforces for me. I, I'm read, Like I said before, I'm reading the sequel to The Eagle Has Landed. This one is The Eagle, the Eagle, has, the Eagle flown. has Flown. And, I, you know, uh, Tom Clancy, there's actually in the edition, there's a quote from Tom Clancy. It's like, Jack Higgins is the master. And I'm like, you know, yes, this is – there might be people out there that Tom Clancy's their guy. Tom Clancy, I didn't hate this, but he's not my guy. Jack Higgins is probably my guy and Frederick Forsyth. And and, uh, it's just – it wasn't as interesting and and the pacing was a turnoff for me. Uh, I thought it was – I should say it's like it is an interesting book and the story is good, but – it just yeah. I was gonna say you had you had a little bit of trouble getting through it, and I had, I was right alongside you with trying to finish up the the nonfiction book. So like it was one of those things that you and I were both like, "Hey, are we gonna do this? We intended to do this back in October to do it, haha, October." Um, and then we're like, "Ah, no, we'll we'll do it in November and talk about you know, like uh, an extra month of October for everybody." And it isn't now, you know, December, almost the new year that we're we're getting to it, which. I does the book mention that it, this happens at a specific time of Christmas? The year? It happens around Christmas. That's what I thought. That's what I thought, and I was gonna open with that. This is a Christmas book, and I was gonna ask you, how was your Christmas? Uh, it was good. You know, uh, I I had a good time. I uh, ate some great food. Uh, you know, my my family lives uh, in Tennessee. My like my you know my my brother and. Uh, my sister-in-law and my parents, I gave them a call and it was good. You know, it, it's been kind of cold here, but, uh, it was, it was very good. A funny note too, is the Eagle has flown, uh, at least part of it takes place during Christmas, but how was your Christmas? Hey, all right. It's top. Yeah, I know it's It's weird, but how was yours? Yeah. Uh, my, so I, I don't, I don't necessarily celebrate Christmas. My parents still do, but I am fond of Yule and Saturnalia and, uh, my friends and I had a very nice, um, yule party uh we burnt a log uh we we did some fun saturnalia stuff you burnt a log reversal 
Yeah, you party, long. party on, um, man. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, but you know, it, it was it was nice. We had some good food. We smoked some cigars. Uh, we had some really good cocktails and mead. That sounds nice. Uh, and just had uh, the best part about the holidays, which is just getting together with people and having some nice togetherness and just enjoying each other's company. Yeah. We exchanged gifts and stuff like that, and it was fun too. That's great. But I just like getting together with people, not not caring about the like uh, capitalist side of it or the religious side of it. No, I, um, I agree. Yeah. So yeah, it was good. And then I later had a small Christmas thing with my parents that was whatever. Yeah, that sounds good. You know, um, well, happy holiday season to our listeners. You might be listening to this probably a yeah, bit after, and, maybe the new uh, year. I will hopefully have this out before the new year. So everybody listening, happy new year. And join us for part two where we're going to talk a bit about which will be in the new year. Yeah, we'll talk about the non nonfiction <laughs> element of this. Talk a little bit about the uh, submarines involved and the inspiration for this book and some real life events that uh that um yeah it's their similarities uh, much more interesting than i was expecting it to be i kind of had i kind of enjoyed the f- non-fiction book more than the fiction book which for me is odd okay all right everybody thanks for listening this time we hope you enjoyed part one of our discussion of the hunt for red october uh as always you know you can reach out to us on instagram at dadlit podcast Or you can send us an email, dadlitpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Dosvedanya. Dosvedanya. I didn't hear any of what Chris was just saying. I just put my headphones on and I saw he was talking and all I heard him say was something about riding his desk like it's a motorcycle. Oh no! <laughs> I was I was saying that for my new podcast setup, I have decided to put my keyboard behind the microphone so that it doesn't hear the clickety clack. But that requires that I lean forward past the microphone and ride my desk like a motorcycle to type and do anything with the mouse. That makes sense. And I can kind of tell (laughs) because we have video here. Get out of here. Just don't ask questions.